from Palma de Mallorca to the global super yacht community. Super Yacht Radio. Look at Team Britannia. Welcome to an extended edition of the Overboard Show. Of all the crazy things in the world to do, <laughs> go circumnavigate the world in uh, in a very cool looking powerboat. Actually, uh, we are welcoming Team Britannia uh, to the show this morning, and we're going to be talking about an attempt to break the world's record for going around the world. We're looking at sixty days or so. Uh, good good morning, Team Britannia. Good yeah. morning. How you doing? Good morning, and um, I believe we have the pleasure of talking to the the. Um, Skipper himself, Alan Pretty. How are you? That's me. Yeah, I'm absolutely fine, actually. I wish I was uh, in your neck of the woods. It's turned a little bit cold here in the UK. Quite suddenly. It's quite a shock. We haven't had time to acclimatise at the moment. But, uh, and with yeah, clocks going uh, back at the same time. <laughs> yes, yeah. yeah. And political rubbish. But hey, such yes. is life. We get on and do what we've got to do. <laughs> we do sympathise for you. <laughs> this is one of my, think- my thoughts was when you set off on your, your journey... When you come yep. back, would you need visas to get back in? <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> I don't think anybody knows. I, I think I think at this stage, if anybody came up with an answer, you'd have to say you're alive because no one actually really knows. But hey, yeah. you know, we've had worse situations. I've arrived in many countries in the world without visas and and charmed my way to to uh, success. So, um, we'll see. to introduce you, Alan, you we could do a show on your experience alone. Um, just um, <laughs> briefly, you started at a very tender young yes. age on the sea. And I believe by the time you were 11, 12, you were already begun your career, which is really quite a young age to begin. In truth, Alan, uh, when I read your bio, the word ridiculous came into head. I mean, you, you started at seven. You had your own powerboat by the age of 11. How many milk rounds and paper rounds did you have to do to get that? And A lot. <laughs> I, I, I have to say, I think seawater, salt water, fresh water, whatever is in my blood anyway. And, and living on an island, you, you know, you're never far from it. So you need a boat to escape. Yeah, but yeah. um yeah, no, it's just it's just in me, you know. I I I I, I openly say I, I I don't do it professionally. I do it as a hobby, but the, the hobby is <laughs> rather extreme now. And and people say, well, why don't you turn it into a business? You're so good at it. And I say, I have to get another hobby. Um, <laughs> and I don't want to. I don't want to. I like my hobby. I, I like doing what I do. I mean, I'm very fortunate that um, I have a day job. I mean, I started my own company when I was 17. So if you think being extreme at between the ages of seven and eleven to go powerboating. Um, I started my own company at 17, which my eldest son runs now. Um, but what, what does yeah, that do? It, it's, it, it, I've just pushed myself all my life. Oh, what's and your, I think what's your company? at an early age was, was really saying, like, yeah, well, this is nuts. I could die doing this, so I better do more. And, I, you know, I've, I've not got to that point yet, I'm pleased to say. Well, can I elaborate for our listeners um, that, I mean, you really quite are a world leader in extreme powerboating with 37 world records under your belt, uh, 12 yeah, of those British records, and uh, included in that is the Atlantic Challenge back in 97, and getting from London to Monaco in under 100 hours. And this isn't also your first attempt of going around the world. Back in 2002, I believe, was possibly your your first attempt? Yes. Yeah, that was... um, It was a very spirited uh, attempt, um, it was very much budget constrained at the time, you know, we, we designed and built the largest rigid inflatable boat. 
Uh, and although it, it, it was as successful as successful could be, and, and, and that was the boat that we actually set the New York to UK world record, which uh, in, in uh, 2001, which still stands today, um, it, we didn't have the range. And so it was a very, very long trip, you know, taking us up into the frozen wastelands of Russia and, you know, being arrested on more than occasions than we would really like to, <laughs> to, to remember and looking down the barrels of guns it, it, too many times, to be perfectly honest with you. But, um, yeah, I mean, it was always something that I didn't get the world record that I wanted. Um, so I took some time off and sailed around the world in, in the late uh, Sir Alec Rosen's boat, Lively Lady. Um, and this project came about by me drifting across the Pacific from Honolulu to Fiji, where I used to sit on the deck at four mile an hour motoring with the engine just ticking over with not a breath of wind for 35 days, thinking I can swim quicker than this. I've really <laughs> got to design a new boat. And, and that's how it came about. So, and, and there was no alcohol involved at all. <laughs> Quite strange for us, actually. <laughs> so um, to, to start first with Excalibur, which is the name of the new vessel that is going to take you on this adventure. I, yeah. I take it experience and a lot of thought has gone into the design, particularly um, reading about it in, in the hull and the type of material you chose to use. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've, I've put a lifetime's experience of, of, of the ocean, um, coupled with lifetime experience of some of the top designers in the world. I, I, I've assembled the best possible team that, that I can find uh, for this. A very strong environmental program running all the way through it. We wanted the boat to be recyclable all the way through. Um, you know, we're very passionate about the environment. I'm sad to say I've seen the seas be destroyed through contamination and, and uh, negligence, really, negligence mm. from mankind. Mm. Um, I, I, yeah, uh, so that's something that we wanted to build into the project all the way through. Uh, and then it changed slightly in as much as uh, I was walking past the Tower of London a few years ago and it was the first time when they had the poppy display and bizarrely we, we had to walk from Waterloo Station um, past the tower because there was a bomb threat and all the roads were gridlocked, which is quite bizarre. And, and it just, you know, I, I'm quite a tough character, but the emotion that actually came over me for everybody that's gone before us and everything they've done to actually allow us to live the life we do, I thought, right, okay, it's my turn for payback. So I introduced the Wounded and Injured program with, you know, wounded veterans from various conflicts of, of all over the world. And I'm very, the, the project is as much about them as it is. It's not about me anymore, to be perfectly honest with you. You know, I, I, I'm the team principal, I'm team leader, and I'm, I'm the skipper. But the whole project's actually all about everybody else rather than me. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm proud to say that. I've said, I'll stand alongside them or I'll stand behind them. I will not stand in front of them. Yeah, that's a, that's a lovely sentiment. And I think mm -hmm. that part, uh, talking with, with captains and crew, um, we've been recently talking to some uh, winners of crew awards, and the common theme among all of them is it wasn't just me. It was yeah. the crew and the team I had. I can't do my job without the support and that dynamic between everyone. And I oh, absolutely. Speaks volumes. Mm. So uh, going back a little bit to the boat, um, your, your focus was very much on trying to build something that had low resistance and low weight. Um, yes. I presume for speed and possibly also fuel consumption 
would be lowered with those two factors? Well, it's all about efficiency. Um, you know, the, the, the hydrodynamic efficiency of the hull, you know, for all intensive purposes, we actually have three hull shapes in one now. We have the, the very fine pointed bit that, you know, punches the hole in the water. Mm -hmm. And then we've used a lot of sailing technology for the middle part of the boat being a rounded bilge. And then we've used riverboat technology to actually flatten the boat out at the back. So in the right conditions, that's what gives it its speed. Aluminium, we, we've had to build to a specification that the boat won't break. I mean, the sea is a very hostile place. Mm. We, we all know that. Um, and I was, I was the happiest person in the world when the boat was launched the early part of this month. Um, I had it weighed at the same time. And, it, and it's actually come in on design um, weight. It was, it was 20.5 tonne at launch. We know we've got a few more bits and pieces to put in it. So its design weight was 23.7 tonne. And we're on the button on that one, which means that the performance and the fuel economy should all fall into sync as well. And again, we've worked with some of the best mathematicians in the world. Um, and everybody that we've worked with, including my calculations, uh, we've come within 0.3 of a knot of, of speed and efficiency. Um, obviously, the proof's in the pudding when we fill it with fuel and, 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 and set and off. But no, it's, it's, it's all about efficiency because our engines aren't particularly big for such a large, heavy boat. You know, the, the boat is light, but the fuel is heavy. You know, we've got you know, 30 tonne of fuel to put in it. Um, but it's a decreasing figure all the time. Um, and, but we've only got 550 horsepower engines. So, you know, 1,100 horsepower to push this boat along at relatively breakneck high average speeds is, is pretty efficient. And you actually nope. even, I mean, just on the practical side, you've made it mainly out of recycled aluminium. Um, Correct. I can only imagine even making that choice took a lot more effort to source the materials. Would that be well, true? Well, I'm very fortunate. We're, you know, we're, we have a very good business arrangement with um, Wright and Blackburns. It's a, it's a global company. Um, and, you know, we, we work very close on the recycled aluminium side of it. Uh, you know, at the, at the moment, the only thing that can't be fully recycled are the plastic housings on some of the instruments. But apart from that, I think we're probably 99.9% there. And of course, what makes it completely different is the fact that, you know, I left school at the age of 15 with no qualifications except woodwork and, build and, and, and sailing. So I became a boat builder, but, you know, didn't realize I didn't want to work for anybody. So I started my own company. But, you know, I've actually learned a lot over, over my years and we've actually developed formula to make salt water into a combustible fuel. And no one believes us. So we thought, right, let's, let's build this superboat and prove it. So we will actually be running the engines on a on quite a revolutionary fuel that we actually make aboard the boat as we go around. Yeah, there's a story my father told me about back in the 50s, um, a scientist, an English scientist, uh, came up with an idea for using salt water um, as a combustible uh, thing to, to drive a, a car. Mm. And he got onto Ford Motor Company, I think it was, and arranged for a car to be brought down to Brighton Beach that had never had fuel in it, so it was a clean engine. And uh, there were some reporters there. He filled it with seawater, threw a couple of tablets into it, and the thing drove. Yes. 
Um, what he wouldn't have had is, is what they call stratification and, and stabilisation. So it would start, but when you turned it off, it would never start again. Ah. <laughs> he didn't get what that far, I don't think. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And a machine um, that actually takes um, H2O apart, and it's not H2O anymore, there's other components in, in the water, as we know, mm-hmm. separates it. Then we can put our magic formula and mix it with a raw oil and we actually end up with a completely clean burn um, fuel. It's still diesel derivative, but it doesn't create a, a much NOx. It reduces NOx and, and particulate matter down by up to 80%. So it's quite revolutionary. And, 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 and the world record was very much about proof of concept as well, because mm-hmm. sometimes people just don't believe things are possible. And, and I'm a great believer in medical science as well. I'm in awe of some of the things that happen so quickly in, in the medical world now. Um, but the, the, the fuel industry, you know, it gets branded as this great monster and it's killing everybody. But it's actually not. You know, modern engines are pretty efficient. Um, and and we, we just wanted to do this to say, look, you know, there are alternatives. The internal combustion engine's here for an awful long time. You know, certainly my lifetime and probably my grandchildren's lifetime. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting project. And, you know, I, I, I love proving people wrong. Has, <laughs> I, can I, I ask, think, has uh, anyone ever used this clean fuel before? I mean, not not for such so a the, mission, but has it been in use? Or is this really kind of the first test drive of seeing how it works in a powerboat? So, the, I mean, the history of, of, of emulsified fuel has gone back decades and decades. And during the Second World War, they experimented with emulsified fuel, but they had a problem that when they stopped the engines after putting the, um, the sometimes called white diesel into the into the tanks and vehicles, actually the liquid separated. Um, and of course, if you're trying to suck pure water through a, a car engine, um, it ain't going to work. So the work that Alan and, and Clean Fuel have done is finding a way of both mixing the fuel um, in a regular engine, uh, but also preventing it from separating. So uh, what we say is this is a massive step forward in terms of producing a fuel that does less damage to the environment. It's not the complete solution. um, But as Alan said, we've got massive ships at the moment which are going to be using diesel for probably the next half century or so. um, And possibly this technology can be used in their engines with very, very little modification at all um, to dramatically cut the amount of pollution that we're currently putting out there. That that would be a huge step because I can see the barrier with with electric motors and hybrid motors, etc., is you need to buy a new car. Or a new boat or or a new engine. What you're saying is with with, uh, a modification to your engine, you can use this, um, this alternative fuel that's a lot cleaner. Am I correct? Indeed. So, 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 so what we're doing is we are desalinating the salt water. Obviously, you don't want to be putting the, the sodium and other chemicals into the engine. Uh, we have installed mixing equipment uh, and a, a tank to mix the, the diesel water and surfactant into. Uh, and then after that, actually, it's a regular engine. It's just you don't have to take the engine apart. You don't have to you know, take the, the boats or ships out of the water. Uh, this can all be retrofitted. So the potential is absolutely huge. Oh. And it's sort of credit to, to Alan as a, as a great engineer 
um, that he has developed this scheme with another engineer. Um, and I was very cynical and skeptical when uh, when they started talking about this. But do you know what? I'm running my car on it now. <gasps> really? Mm. Yeah. Wow. We've had thousands and thousands and thousands of miles and hours of testing over the last three years on, you know, I, I run fleets of vans and lorries within the company. Um, we've got friends, got taxi companies, and we just give the fuel away. Um, and we've, you know, we've got a we've got a 100% success rate on it. And, and we've been experimenting all the way through. Uh, you know, I, I, I've actually managed to uh, as you know, the guy on Brighton Beach did many years ago, I've managed to set fire to water quite successfully. And you have to remember that H2O, mixed correctly, has put man on the moon. So it is a combustible material. Mm. It's just how it's all mixed and used. And you know, the modifications to the engine are only a sticker that goes on. It says, this engine runs water. <laughs> <laughs> there are no modifications to the engine. That's what we've prided ourselves on. Um, so it's an integral part of the environmental side. Of course, it gives us extra range as well, can give us extra performance in, in, in certain circumstances. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, a much, it's as much about science and mathematics as it is actually about boating and sailing. And do, do you get as much um, uh, kick or thrust out of, out of that mix uh, in opposed to diesel or petrol? Uh, yeah, I mean, I've, I've run everything. I mean, yeah, I mean, I love to hundred mile an hour in, in, in some really fast boats that mainly petrol. Um, it makes no difference to me, to be honest with you. I think, I think these days my kick is the design, development, and implementation of the project. And I, again, I openly say, if I do my job properly and the boat's built properly and it's set up properly, and of course it's a massive, massive land logistical operation we have to put together. Um, we're very fortunate to work with um, the golf agency company, GAC, who are uh, organising all our pit stops. I can go to sleep for 40 or 50 days and I, there's nothing for me to do. All I've, I've done my job. <laughs> and, and again, I, that's what I pride myself on doing is just everybody else can run the boat. I, I, I've, if, I, if, I've got, if I've done something wrong, then I'll be my own worst critic. Um, and I, am, you know, I do navigation every day. Um, I do office navigation. I mean, I've got I've got my own navigational plan. It, next week, I'm doing a set running a seminar, uh, and one of the other gentlemen that are speaking there openly criticised me when I crossed the Atlantic in 1997 for not taking any charts. Um, <laughs> and you know, it, it, in those days, GPSs were you know raw, really. I mean, it was just a handheld little Garmin that would just give you your waypoint. Um, but I'm an adventurer, and what I did, I, need, I, I wanted to explore Greenland on that voyage. So I went to the Scott Polar Institute in Cambridge here in the UK and looked at all the black and white and the hand-drawn sepia drawings and photographs of all the previous explorers that had landed in Greenland. And, and I was looking for a particular bay in uh, Nalotarek on, on, the, on the southern tip, and I found it. And all we did was photocopy them and actually use the old Boy Scout plan, which was line of sight. And, you know, we were actually arriving in, in the harbours by looking at the mountain ranges. Yeah, um, old school. Old school. You know, you know, I mean, Columbus didn't find his way around the world that easy. And, you know, I mean... Well, I think he wasn't people, even trying... I think he fumbled his he way around. around the world. No, quite. Um, yeah, there's an argument he was actually using a set of charts donated to him by the uh, King of Portugal that was gifted the, from the um, Emperor Zen from China many, many years. That's another story. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, you know, the, I, 
I'm old school. I can do everything the old way, but I do like technology as well. So um, moving to the, the race itself, um, yep. you are planning, the, the record at the moment stands just close on 61 days, Correct. held by a New Zealander, I believe, at the moment. Um, yes. The, the route, you can pick yourself, you can start, but the kind of, it seems that you have to start and place. finish in the same place. And what also amazed me is you don't get to go get off the boat either, do you, for that? No, no. It's, 50 um, to 60 days. Um, so talking of routes, how did you pick, I mean, presumably now you have a lot of experience, but how did you pick what route was going to be best for you? We don't really get a lot of choices because the rules dictate from, from the, um, the UIM in, in, in Monaco, the Union International Motonique, that you have to use both canals. Um, so whether you're going east about or west about, you're either for us, I've gone around the world both ways, both times I've had bad experiences at certain points, uh, usually the Red Sea, I have to say, I'm, I'm not a lover of the Red Sea unless I'm on holiday diving, but, um, but why the Red Sea? Well, it's a funnel, isn't it? You know, I mean, it, it, it comes in from the Mediterranean and it's very, very narrow being sort of, you know, five, six hundred metres wide. Uh -huh. And then as it comes to the end of the, of, of, of the canal area, then it opens up into the um, Saudi Arabia on one side, Egypt on the other. Um, and then it just builds up this massive funnel, which if you're coming up it, you get smashed to bits and oh, you can okay. get smashed to bits coming down because it's not a particularly deep deep water area and i remember the last time i came up it when i was sailing i spent three days beating between uh egypt and saudi arabia getting as close to saudi arabia as i dare without being shot um and i made 50 miles in three days Ouch. after beating hard and that was it was an ouch situation um that reminds me yeah, of my old volvo <laughs> yeah yeah for, for us we've actually chosen to go to to head west this time um and I think, you know, it's the luck of the draw. The weather's doing some cookie things at the moment. Mm. We've chosen two periods of the year being sort of March time or October time because we're going to the Southern Hemisphere, so we need spring or autumn. Um, I don't know. You know, we've built a boat for all weather. Um, but, uh, I, I, again, I, I monitor it closely. I mean, at the moment, you know, that hurricane that's sort of scouting around the North uh, um, Atlantic at the moment, at one point it was coming over the Azores, it's turned away slightly mm -hmm. yesterday, but it's a big one and it's very late in the year, very, very late in the year. Of course, there's a huge typhoon um, building up in uh, the Arabian Sea at the moment, which it shouldn't be there, but who knows? That who knows? bit's going to be the probably the most unpredictable part of it all. It's it's one of those things, you know, I always say, you know, the sea's the monster, isn't it? You're never going to beat it. The sea's always going to beat you. Uh, it, it's one of those things. I, I will monitor it carefully. Again, technology allows us to drive around a lot of big things now. So we do get a certain amount of allowances. For example, when I first set the project, my first fuel stop was going to be Puerto Rico from Gibraltar. I say Gibraltar is the starting point. It's, it's our second home. We quite like it. Um, but we can start and finish anywhere between the canals. Um, and then I looked at it and I thought, well, hang on. It's, it, the, the weather's not quite that comfortable on that side of the earth at the moment. So we look, well, do we go to the Azores and, and then down to Bermuda? And at the moment, my preferred choice is to actually go down towards the Canaries, have a short, fast run. And then from the Canaries, 
over to Antigua and then into Panama. So I get choices on that part of the journey. I don't get any choices thereafter. But you have and to use the canals. Do you do you get a choice of? I mean, I, I believe you have eight stops for refueling. I mean, you don't really have that much time there. You're not hanging around long. It's really just to stop, refuel, and, and presumably head on after a couple well. hours. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, part of the design of the boat is it was the fuel tanks because we need to high pressure fuel. So. You know, to get fuel in, we've got to get air out. You know, we're taking, you know, 30 tonne of fuel in as short a time as possible. But at the same time, we also had to build in uh, a, a a corporate entertainment period within that for the sponsors and everybody that's been supporting us. So with working with the wounded and injured, they're going to each country a couple of days before we're scheduled to arrive. So they're, And they will set up a pop-up village, so very, you know, Formula One stuff. But what we've decided to do to, again, on the environmental side and, and, and everything that we're passionate about is to actually have everything manufactured in each country to create employment. Oh, um, and again, work, working with GAC, you know, we can do it. All we've got to do is, is, is take a memory stick with us with everything we want and, and it can all be made in each country. So there'll be lots of festivities for a couple of days before we zoom in. Happy, happy, happy. Get to watch boat. it happy, from, happy. Yeah, from to, the boat. Get to watch it from the boat. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, and before we know it, we're away again. Because I, I, I've openly said again, you know, I'm quite open in everything we do, is this record's one on the land as much as the sea. And it's, it's no different with Formula One and, and you know, most types of motorized sport now you know, uh, you know formula one i'm a great fan of but marginally bored at the moment you know it's all about what happens in the pits not necessarily what happens on yeah. the track um the the design of this way there's going to be a crew of four isn't it More. Uh, i've got a crew of between 18 and 20 actually really? um it's a very social boat uh, oh. and again that was to really uh, accommodate the wounded and injured and, and the team that have been working on it and some vip places uh, there's four main people on the boat. Ah, okay. um, but again, if we've done our job properly, there's nothing for us to do, so the others might as well run the boat and take the glory. <laughs> um, and, uh, I'm running out of shouts for trophies, to be honest with you. <laughs> I, I, I would believe it, <laughs> considering you have 37 already on the, that shelf. Um, yeah. You know, we talk a lot about super yachts, and super yachts, it's all about the accommodation. Um, if you're going to have 18 to 20 potentially people on board, what's the accommodation going to be like inside? Uh, everybody's got their own bed and their own bunk. That's yeah. something. It's I always a good myself. start. <laughs> so, yeah, not There's top no to tail then. <laughs> not. I mean, it's fair to say not everybody will be on the boat for the entire. Uh, 50 days that we ho were hoping to do the, the world record in, mm. only because some of the conditions that the uh, the veterans have will not permit them to be, uh, to take that sort of endurance. Uh -huh. mm. um, so we'll have 12 plus yeah. uh, on the boat. Um, and, I, and I think as someone who has not done these uh, any of these sorts of records before, I would say the living accommodation is, is basic. It's comfortable, though. I mean, yeah, we've, we've actually worked with a, with a British designer on a mattress. Um, and, you know, I've, he, he, we, we had the sample some three years ago. And he said, you've got to try this. Now, I obviously, my bones have been broken on many, many occasions, <laughs> shall we say. And uh, I've had my back rebuilt twice. And 
I, you know, I know winter's coming long time before it gets cold because, you know, you start to hurt a little bit. And, um, in fact, at the moment when I wake up, I can remember every crash I've had. But, um, (laughs) (laughs) you know, this mattress is truly unbelievable. It's the most expensive lilo I've ever come across in my life. But I still sleep on it now. After three years, I sleep on it at home. I I don't want to sleep on anything else. And everybody on the boat's got one of those. Um, and, and it's an ultra supportive airbed, un- unbelievable, un- un- unbelievable design. Um, so again, we, yeah, we pride ourselves on working with you know, small and medium businesses that have got ideas that find them difficult to take to market. So it, it was a, it, it was a perfect fit. And the uh, the great thing about the the air mattress that we're using is it weighs just one Light. tenth yeah. of the usual weight of a mattress. So, and oh. everything that Alan's been doing is sort of pushing the boundaries to to shave off more weight to to make the boat more and more efficient. Did Did you have to hire a skinny crew? <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> you did, didn't you? <laughs> uh, <laughs> one of our crew is. Um, is a gentleman that took an injury in in the Falklands War, the first, in, 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 uh, quite a bad injury. And over and above the, he had a bit of a weight loss, shall we say, during that war, as a couple of the others did. Um, but he went completely to pieces and became a recluse. And he's, he went from a super fit guy to a super huge fat. I hope he's not listening. <laughs> super huge guy. Very um, large and cuddly very large and cuddly but working with him over the last three to four years he's he's found himself he's lost a lot of weight he's still quite cuddly um (laughs) he's got a new partner he got married this year um and the truth is the weight's not that important because we're burning fuel as a weight um you know our weight decreases by between 100 and 150 kilos an hour anyway so to put 150 kilo person on the boat is only an hour's weight loss and we will make sure he loses weight because we won't feed him while he's on the boat i was going to say we're just working with the university of portsmouth so there will be quite an extensive program prior to the off yeah uh to make sure that everybody is is match fit both both physically and also mentally Mm. well that's another part of the project too i believe that you're going to be doing research as you as you circumnavigate as well, picking up samples. Yes. Yeah. Um, well, that, that that'd be um, that'd be. I mean, plastics are a common a common thing that people speak about, and that. And, and I remember some fifteen years ago going to a well-known big um, <laughs> chemical com- company, mm-hmm. uh, and I was looking for sponsorship for one of our children's charities at the time, and I said, look, you know. This is, I believe, that what you're manufacturing is actually damaging the environment. And I was virtually thrown out of the office. And it was all about microbeads and, you know, the washing of clothes and that sort of thing. And I was literally thrown out of the office and, you know, I, I became a pariah. Oh, this person's talking rubbish. And, of course, now it's common knowledge that, you know, I was... Proved right. ...not far off the mark. Um, and I, I, look, I, I look at the plastics thing in two ways. I cannot abide the rubbish and, 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 and the debris and everything that's in the sea. But I also accept that, you know, plastics are a polymer of sorts. And I'm reading medical reports at the moment that are saying that the, the microplastics, the absolutely, totally 
tiny, tiny stuff you can't see, is actually not that harmful to human life. Now, perhaps that's just the plastics industry paying someone to say that. I don't know. So we thought we'd do our own sampling. And we'll be taking samples every inch of the journey. And those samples will be analysed on the boat and sent back to the universities for independent analysis to find out what's going on. And it's not just uh, sea water samples, but yeah. we're also going to be doing air sampling yeah. as well, because increasingly there's evidence that uh, the air that we're breathing is in is contaminated with um, very, very tiny pieces of plastic as well. Yeah, they did uh, some studies on that. Uh, we spoke about it uh, only recently, where they measured... Um, just in the atmosphere, it wasn't rain. It was just in the atmosphere, mm -hmm. uh, suspended in 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 the, the water in the atmosphere. Um, they found uh, plastic uh, microparticles um, in different different quantities in different places. But it's certainly it, we are breathing it in. Um, Indeed, I know from from one uh, friend and colleague of ours, uh, Pippa Nicholas from YPI, that she. Uh, I know Pippa. You know, Pippa, who doesn't know Pippa? Yeah, <laughs> I've she... known Pippa a long time before Pippa. Oh, you remember, you remember Philip? I remember Philip. <laughs> yes. He's lived just down the road. Yeah, he's, uh, yeah. They're, they're, we're actually working with Pippa at the moment, actually, on several little projects. Which, yeah, small world, carry on, sorry. <laughs> okay, no, no, we, we are also um, working on Pippa. Not working on Pippa, working with Pippa. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa, did I record that? Um <laughs> But one of Pippa's many does, jobs. She does head, headhunters as well for the the royal right, flush, yeah. the best best toilet you can get on the ocean, and yeah. um, they're a sponsor of ours. And uh, <laughs> she was saying when she's cleaning out the the bills, as she often has to do, that uh, the amount of uh, small micro particles of plastic that get into the filters. And she was saying, you know, we don't actually digest them; they go through the system and out the other end. However, with them in the in the air, we are breathing them into our lungs. So I'm not sure how that's. Uh... It, it, it's interesting you say that actually, because I I I am actually looking at at the plastics in the ocean as a completely different um, completely different way that people aren't talking about at the moment, which is is what damage. Is, I mean, you know, marine engines are seawater cool, mm -hmm. and you know, from big ships down to outboard motors. And no one's actually doing a study on the advanced wear of increased polymers in salt water on the internal components of an engine. Mm. Now, one of the things that we're doing, and we've offered one of our engines when we get back for analysis, um, is to try and, try and work out if there's an advanced wear pattern, which means the downturn becomes greater for the maintenance of the boats uh, and ships. Now, in, in reality, that could equate to billions and billions of dollars of increased maintenance. And there are more people die in poverty than they do of air poisoning. And if there is an increase in the, the financial side of the maintenance of the craft, then someone's got to pay for that. And it's going to be the end user who's got the goods in the container that the ships are delivering. Um, and it's quite a scary calculation on that. You know, there's, there's lots of other things about uh, that, that's going on with contamination. I'm hoping I'm wrong. I might not be, but, uh, you know, some, Un something. Unfortunately, it does actually make sense once you say it that. Yes. Um, it, it, would seem, it would seem obvious that it probably does cause damage. 
but uh, yeah, I mean, what's what's um, ha- happening is that with you know with with all the scrubbing systems that have been fitted, mm-hmm. either there's two ways to look at it: either they've been inferior, or something's causing them to fail a lot sooner than um, they predicted. Because you know, there's some some major problems going on with the boats that spent millions and millions and millions of dollars mm-hmm. having scrubbers fitted, only to find out they're splitting and filling the boats up with water. I, I you just, know, there's a lot going on in the background. As, um, you, as you said earlier on, and I know this from Mark Stewart and and. Um, the building of the White Rabbit, the the naval architects, the mathematicians that we have right now, they can get you down to 0.3, 0.03 accuracy of how your engine should perform. Mm. And if there's a big deviation from that for no obvious reason, then, yeah, you have to look at what else is happening there. That's right, yeah. And, and also, so, I would imagine... The effect, do you know, the effect that heat might have on these tiny polymers as well, that, you know, in in some ways, until you put the reality and test it out, it can be very difficult to hypothesize until you Mm. see what happens actually in action. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just one of those things that, you know, I I, I class myself as a a bit of an innovator. And, you know, again, you know, I started talking about this a couple of years ago and people said, oh, don't be so stupid. Am I stupid? I don't. I hope I am stupid on it. You know, I'd hate to think that, mm. that you know goods are going to cost so much money because of a waste disposal problem. I don't know what what the answer is for plastics. To be honest with you, apart from a massive educational program to stop people chucking it in the sea, but you know the Western world isn't responsible for it. I'm fortunate to travel the world an awful lot doing something else. And I'm horrified at the way people treat this planet. Absolutely horrified. Um, I read recently, actually, that uh, 80% of the plastic waste that gets into our oceans comes essentially from 10 rivers. And those 10 rivers make up 1% of all the rivers in the world. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, the worst worst thing about that, it's not exclusively their problem. I mean, quite often what we're seeing Mm -hmm. is that the Western world is offshoring its problem by sending Mm -hmm. plastics to other countries to be recycled and they're not being recycled so it's got to be a global effort to address address this problem um and and that's something that the the crew and alan feel very passionately about and sort of a nice symbolism as you you know circumnavigate the world you know that you we're all linked by the water so as you as you travel you know it's sort of and I think that's the biggest part is collaborating on a global scale because, you know, we can make all sorts of measures in, in the Western world. But if it's not being balanced out by China, who actually seems like they're actually moving that direction as well. But, for example, China, then it's still not going to have an effect. China, China shouldn't. You know, they're making huge. Yes, headways. they are making huge. They, yeah, they no. actually have made huge they, progress they put over the couple. Eighty percent more uh, wind turbines up than any other country in the world last year. Mm. They're also leading the world in gasification plants as well mm. to actually high speed um, uh, turn turn the plastics into an energy, uh, whether it be a hot energy or cold energy. So, and the world's looking at that. I mean, on, on the plastic, I remember sailing uh, Lively Lady into Acapulco and. Um, uh, a few years ago, 2006, and I'd been there before. And you know, she's a had small my uh, sailboat, isn't she? Yeah, yeah, I was, yeah, lovely uh, 36 year old sailboat yeah. that was uh, sailed around the world by the late Sir Alec Rose in 19- 30, 36 foot, 36 foot, sorry, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, tiny little thing, anyway. Um, 
and, and I was picked up by customs and immigration as you are and you know they're, they're told how their son wants new running shoes because he's a really great sports person and etc 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 yeah which is you know is it the indirect give me money or you're not leaving here um and he got on to, he said what about your plastics so I gave him the receipt and at the time in that boat we didn't have any water makers so we would buy a litre and a half bottles of water uh, and I gave him the receipt. I said, "Yeah, we've got a, uh, we bought a hundred bottles of water. There you go." He said, "Where's the, bo- where's the, the bottles?" I went, "There you go. Do you want to count them?" We're very passionate about that, you know. Mm-hmm. Just you, you, what you take on, you, take off. You, 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 you've got, you, you've got to stand up and be counted in this world. And as he was praising me. An empty bottle of Coca Cola drifted across the boat, <laughs> <laughs> and I went, "There you go." <laughs> I still bought the son some running shoes. I know that. That's story. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, we, we are passionate about what we do, and you know, I, I've been fortunate that I am successful. I am pushing the boundaries back, and sometimes that does work against you because certainly, you know, this this is a very expensive project that we're doing, and, and sometimes people don't understand it, um, and we have to stay strong and say, well, you know, okay, we're. We, we weren't successful in that part of the deal, but we're not giving in. We're, we're still going to carry on. And, you know, arguably, we are a few years behind with it, but we're pretty much up to schedule what, now. What's, so. what's not to understand? Sorry, it's, you're building a boat to break yet another world record. Um, you're doing scientific uh, testing and measurements on the way. You're testing out a new fuel. New design. Um, I would have thought the average person could grasp those concepts. So I, th- I think for when you're talking to some uh, big corporates, the the problem is the the scale, the ambition that Alan and the crew have, it is so big. You know, not just to break the round the world record, which everybody can understand, um, but it, you know, the plastics program mm-hmm. will provide the first combined seawater and air map of microplastics that has ever been done and then we get onto the fuel and the fuel could be really world changing to be able to to reduce diesel consumption um, not by one or two percent but maybe up to twenty percent and in doing so, drastically cut particulate matter, which is sort of the the big stuff is the black stuff you see in the backs of cars around the the exhaust pipes. uh, And the finer end is the stuff that we're breathing in, which is very carcinogenic, to cutting of NOx. I mean, it's just incredible. And the program involves so many people, um, scientists, boat builders, uh, people who are going to train the crew, um, you know, it is such a big project uh, that sometimes people struggle with it. It's got to be difficult once it's finished. What do you do then? I, mean, I imagine this has taken up a lot of your combined lives over the last few years. Um, um, I, I don't think that would be a problem for a man <laughs> like you. I'm pretty sure <laughs> the just, next project is going to no, be there. I, 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 60 I days doesn't the, seem long enough. <laughs> yeah, I, I think this project will run after the world record i think i think it's got its own educational life mm-hmm. um I, I don't know what that the answer to that is to be perfectly honest with you and kind I, of in the know, throes of this uh, one at the moment though i'd imagine <laughs> yeah i mean as a as, as a character person I, I i love meeting people i love going to new places and, and 
tr the truth is that's why I've been on the water because it enables you to meet different types of people from all walks of life and to go to new places. And, you know, I live in the Solent. I haven't got a lot of interest in boating in the Solent because I've been everywhere and I know everybody. So I get the motorbike out and I go and visit them by motorbike. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'd like to think that the, that the boat will have an educational program. Now, whether it will be me at the helm, I don't know. There's no, you know, I've built it as a summer icebreaker, so it can do a lot of Arctic work. It can do Antarctic work. I, I, I've built an afterlife into the project. So maybe a university or some foundation. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. But I'd like to be involved with it. I don't mm. necessarily want to run it. I mean, there, there's another element to the boat as well, because it's so tough and, and has such a big range. Uh, the UK does not have any uh, long range search and rescue vehicles. And this was uh, vessels. And that's, this was brought very sharply into focus when Chiki Rafiki uh, went down. Now, if the UK government invested in uh, some boats similar to Excalibur, they could have gone out to where that yacht went down and performed a very substantial sort of thousand mile box search mm -hmm. and come back on the same, you know, tank of fuel. So there, there is life being built into the boat and a number of of possibilities. Yeah, I mean, one of them is, I, you know, I, I, I believe it's approaching the time when the international maritime law will say, look, you know, all you yacht racers, you've got to put your own safety boats out. You know, we can't we, we can't spend millions and millions of dollars picking up the pieces for your fun and, and sports and shit. Mm -hmm. So you know, maybe, you know, like, you know, for example, the Jack Labour that's going on at the moment, then you're on standby in the middle of their course. I mean, it's four, you know, it's four and a half thousand mile passage. You know, someone could sit at 2000 miles in the boat and wait mm -hmm. for the pass and, and then follow them back, you know, just in case. Uh, yeah. This, this, I've tried to think of most things for a life of the boat. Well, what's your top speed? Oh, it depends on the weight of the fuel, of course. I mean, yeah. normal use with say two and a half thousand mile range, which is only half a range, twenty three knots in most conditions. That's good. Yeah, yeah. She's got a she's got a predicted range of four and a half thousand miles, but, and I think the average on that was something like about sixteen point two. I mean, our sea trial, which we're very keen to to. Uh, finish is you know obviously we do commissioning sea trials and, and and then we'll take her to the channel islands and we'll just take her to a maximum um design operational weight which is 57.3 tons of fuel and then we just intend to go around britain until the fuel runs out and i think we've got a clear three three circumnavigations there and, and from that I'll, I'll be able to get my final data and be able to match it against all the mathematician mathematicians calculations mm. Um, before we go, you you mentioned about uh, Blesma, which is the yes. British Limbless Ex-Servicemen's Association, and mm -hmm. you'll be bringing a few of the veterans on a few of the stages of the race, yep. presumably also raising money for them as well. Um, and is there a, um, that, I mean, it's got to be a, a great experience for them and to be part of this. And I believe you also have another charity you're working with on this event as well. Uh, we've got lots of charities. Well, I just thought, you know, maybe we can, yeah. I, I would yeah, let I mean, you um, kind yeah, of I mean, listen because they're very program. much in your heart. Um, um, yeah. What I mean, the wounded and injured one is, is was my personal, um, my personal belief as payback. 
Um, I, I've worked with the military from all forces uh, for many, many years. And it just all of a sudden it hit home. You know, you think, you know, these guys have done so much. Guys and girls have done so much. Um, in terms of fundraising, it's really about the awareness. I mean, mm -hmm. obviously, we're coming up to November the 11th um, you know, very soon. And it, it's about awareness. We're not actually doing a fundraising trip for them it's it's all about us saying thanks guys um and then on the other hand to take it to the other extreme we have got our own children's charity around and around which is mm -hmm. um, the sailing charity as well where we take disadvantaged kids from all all walks of life and and really educate them into the ways of the world uh and, and that I, I can boast a hundred percent success rate on that and i'm very proud of that one and is it um, bringing them out i mean is it is it kind of life lessons or is it bringing them out sailing so they can have that experience how do you around around and around is is predominantly a fundraising company and what they have to do is work as a team to raise sufficient funds for them to actually go sailing we we Although we put the infrastructure in place and we own the boats they go sailing on, we don't give anything away. You know, we're, we're not that sort of charity. They've got to prove to us that they are determined in changing their life and they've got to work hard to change their life. Um, and, you know, sailing is the prize. And we just don't take them for a little trip around the Solent. We actually sail them around the world and in, in crews and we change, each, we change crew each country. And it's usually a two-year two-year voyage. So it's a voyage of discovery for them as well. Um, but, you know, I mean, the, the, the last one we did, I mean, you know, it's a 100% success rate. You know, the, what were kids are now ad, young adults. Some are married, some got children. They found their sexuality. They found their careers. And it's nice just to be able to stand back and, you know, just say, yeah, I, I, I was a little bit of a guiding light there. You know, mm -hmm. well done. Let them launch out from, from that point. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I know that I could call on any of them and, and they would help me. Uh, I haven't called on any of them. <laughs> um, they've called on me a few times. And, and you yeah, know, I mean, I always sort of send them a birthday message to each of them. And, you know, we're a family. We created a family. And, 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 and again, with the round and around, it wasn't only working with, with, with the youngsters. It was actually bringing the, their parents in and their parents in. Um, so we were working with grandparents as well. So we actually were building a, 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 and repairing the family unit. Which is a so, huge yeah. part. Mm. Incredible. Yeah, but basically I just sit in the back of a bar drinking beer thinking <laughs> I mustn't have any more ideas. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? It's going to yeah. be hard to t top this one. Um, really, you yeah, well, you've yeah, covered right. most bases in science, charity, innovation, um ecology uh, it, it would be very difficult oh and not only let's not forget you're also trying to beat a world record there is there's a lot please, please, in one please project don't challenge him. <laughs> please don't challenge him he will come up with something else I'm uh, sure. oh, yeah. you know uh, what i don't so think I, I don't think he even needs the challenge i think it's just naturally within him <laughs> i had i had some friends in belgium and um they say like you know we really are fearful that the space program um, is actually going to destroy your life. And I say, why is that? He said, you will be the first person, the fastest person to go to the moon. <laughs> <laughs> said, Thank you very much. But no, I, I, you know, I, I do what I do because I enjoy doing it. I enjoy working with other people. Um, I enjoy just pushing the boundaries back. Because, I mean, in the rigid inflatable boat world, I mean, when you know, we've been involved in that so, so long, 
and uh, you know, I look, I look at, I look at boats now, and I say, show me something new. All I can mm. see is what we worked on twenty years ago. But at that time, it's 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 a bit of self praise as well because I, I look at something and say, oh yeah, I. I I, I, I did that change, and very few. It's a bit like the vehicle industry. Yeah, they all look the same now, don't they? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no. It's uh, yeah. It's been absolutely fantastic talking to you. Um, you know, we've thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, I hope all your listeners enjoy um, what what we've had to say. We uh, we speak from the heart. We haven't got a, a financial side to us, although you know we could do with a little bit of help at the moment from the occasional sponsor or two. Um, but we are who we are. You know, we're, we're, we're proud to be part of Team Britannia. We are not mm-hmm. Team Britannia. We're part of it because without us and the crew, we haven't got, we haven't got anything. And I think for, that, for more information, mm-hmm. people can go to teambritannia.org. Yep, teambritannia.org. I think the fact that your very project name is Team, you know, yes. it, it says it all. Um, and, and, of course, you know, just, just, just to finish the name of the boat, Excalibur, um, you know, historically, Excalibur was the mythical sword of King Arthur. Maybe not mythical, but who knows? Uh-huh. Um, you know, which is the sword of righteousness, which uh, sliced through evil and dark nights to actually create sunny days and happy times. Uh, How about that one, then? That's well a named. good name to go by. And uh, just on a lighter note before we leave, uh, after reading your, uh, your bio, Alan, and 37 world records, I decided to Google who has the most world records, thinking your name would come up. And uh, I found this man, Ashrita Furman, who has 600 Guinness World Records, all to do things he did on a pogo stick. <laughs> <laughs> no comment. So you've got, you've got stiff competition. <laughs> yeah. The mind boggles about the pogo stick and what he did with it. But, um, yeah, no, again. A lot of it's redacted, like, so I couldn't read it out. <laughs> Yeah, and so, yeah, no, I'm not going there. I'm not going. I, 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 no, no, it's too early in the day. I haven't had a beer. I'm not going. There. <laughs> it was a, 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 a incredible uh, thing. I hope we can keep in contact with you as you go we around. We will be. Um, absolutely. And if you, again, while we're going around, if you want to do, um, you know, the boat's sophisticated enough, we can do, you know, live broadcast. Oh, that would be brilliant. You can speak to the crew. And we've actually put a, 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 a big brother area in the boat where people can, yeah, the crew can take turns to go in there and, and, and record their innermost feelings and, and that. So, you know, it's, it, yeah, we please love to, love to do it. Love Excellent. To do it. Absolutely. Uh, well, um, that was such a pleasure. Really I have to pleasure. say very inspiring on many levels of what you're doing. <laughs> Um, thank you very thank you very, very much, much. Um, wish you the time. very best of luck the only thing we didn't mention actually is you said um, you, you've been looking seasonally you know either spring or autumn at the moment the goal is to head out in March time is it uh, that, that is the target yeah um, it, it really it really depends on when we get the title sponsor on board um, and that will, they will determine the timing because obviously they'll have their own requirements and uh, they'll have probably some sort of PR agency that will want to coordinate their efforts. Okay. Well, watch this space and we certainly will uh, be in touch with you and hopefully talking to you before you head off. We'll um, have to bring the boat down to you as well on one of the little tests. There you go. That's a very good idea. Yeah. And New York is good. always a nice place to visit too, so... Well, we do intend to, yeah. I mean, are you in New York now? Uh, Mallorca. Oh, Mallorca, sorry. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah, we want to do a transatlantic. It's about time my own record was broken on that. 
But yeah, no, we're always calling to Mallorca. It's on the way, isn't it, to somewhere? <laughs> <laughs> I've heard it's got a bar or two, hasn't it? A, uh, a couple. I think a they couple. just opened one. They just opened one. It's well, a, an invitation for a beer, I'm sure Alan will be there. That yeah. is an open yeah. invitation. <laughs> so... To all our listeners, thank you for tuning in. Um, we have had the pleasure of talking to Team Britannia, who are planning to circumnavigate the globe um, in under 60 days. Yeah. Or uh, Jules Verne got it wrong. Yeah, he did. In their amazing powerboat Excalibur, which, as we mentioned, has um, not only innovative design, but it's clean recyclable. fuel. And <laughs> recyclable, too. And uh, we wish you the very best of luck. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thank you, guys. All the best. Thank you. I see you on the blue sky. I need a little sunshine. I fell into your brown.